Welcome to Stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw. I would be Bradshaw. That would be the WWE Hall of Famer, the Oklahoma legend, the shooter, the tap like you mean it, Mr. Gerald Briscoe. <laughs> and this, a member of the Samoan wow. dynasty, a WWE Hall of Famer, member of the BSK, and one of the best guys, Mr. Briscoe, and ever I've ever had the privilege of knowing. He's our good friend, Mr. Rikishi. Keesh. Thanks for hey, Thank you, guys. I miss you guys. Thank you for having me on the show. It's been a minute, you know? It has I been. Guess. Last time I saw you was at the, uh, basically the BSK reunion at the Taker Retirement. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Uh, man, it, it was one of those nights we haven't touched. I haven't personally touched Jack in well over 20 years. And when I got the call from the office to be able to show up, you know, to celebrate Taker's 30th year, it was a no-brainer for me. First thing I asked was, who's going to be there? And they told me the whole crew of BSK was going to be there. And it, were, it was already like, okay, it's going to be all now, you know? And so to finally get there just to see my old friends back in the day, it was definitely a blessing. Hey, Vince McMahon asked Tim White the next day, he goes, I heard you uh, went timber. Better <laughs> <laughs> believe I did. Well, you, you know, we all, you know, much love and respect to Tim White, though. OG, but you know, the, the backstory, Tim never really hung with us back in the day, the BSK crew, but he was always in a lot of our matches as part of the referee. So we love, you know, we love Tim, you know, but that night, you know, we were all at the bar. And of course, when BSK gets together, it's always a bottle of Jack Daniels. And so we got there early before anybody got there to the bar. And we end up, you know, all the BSK members just start trickling in from their flight. And finally, last taker comes through. Now the party's on now. So we take, we pretty much cleaned out the whole bar. They had no more bottles of Jack for BSK there. That's so here comes Tim White. I haven't, we haven't seen Tim White in 20 something years. And so Tim White, BSK, we have a special way of drinking Jack. And Taker used to teach in Yoko, bless his heart. They used to grab that, that shot of Jack and they pour it in there. You don't just drink it, drink it. You had to drink it and you had to gargle that sucker mm. and then swallow it. Now, Tim trying to hang with us, JBL, for a good, for, you know, five, six hours. The last bottle, we were all about ready to go through our room. We did that gargle. Man, we all grabbed that shot. <laughs> Boom. Here goes Tim White. Boom. Here goes the gargle. And all of a sudden, we're all just sitting there, and Tim White just tumbled all the way back. Took, took a freaking bump by the bar. Of <laughs> course, <laughs> you know, back in the day, the boys never left the boys when we're all partying. That, that was a no-no. If you all party together, we make sure you get back to the room. So the TV hotel in Orlando, you know how big that damn thing is. We were all in separate different rooms on different floors. So you can imagine us taking each other, dropping Tim White <laughs> to his room, come back, take Phineas to his room, come back. We were taking God went to shit. By the time everybody's down to the room, we were freaking blown up already. <laughs> it was time. To, it was time for the wake up call. Then you had to go make sure everybody got up on time. You know? <laughs> I saw the, I that, saw the video from Phineas Godwin. He showed me when uh, all everybody was on the ground. So oh Lord, <laughs> Phineas takes a bump. Henry Gowan goes to pull him up. Phineas gets all lovey-dovey and wants to hug him. Now they're on the ground. 
Then Savio's on the ground. It was it was awesome. <laughs> oh, dude. We woke up the next morning to come to TV. We had no idea what the hell we were doing. But coming through that, coming through security, getting into the building, I'll tell you, Jerry, we were just, no matter how much cologne you got on on your suit, we was just reaping Jack Daniels. You, just, oh, it was horrible. You, you guys had to get half the production crew drunk from just being around the, uh, the Roma, <laughs> Roma when you walked in. I know how that is, man. Uh, you know, you, sometimes you feel so bad, you know, you hit one of those nights like that. And then you got to catch like an early airplane the next morning and you shower, you, you, you put all that crap on and you go there and all of a sudden you're sitting in the seat and you start smelling yourself. Mm-hmm. And then, then here, here comes the businessman comes in with a coat tie on, you know, all proper, getting ready for a hard day's work. He sits down to next to you, and first thing he does is kind of look over at you, like, "What the hell am I sitting next to?" Hey, flight attendant, can I move seats? Right. We get more people drunk like that, but man, you know, Keishi, uh, as we were saying earlier, uh, we've been trying to get you on in your schedule that finally allowed you to come on to us. But man, you got such a historic and had such a lineage in this business. There, you got to be so proud of of the Samoan uh, heritage that you have, just like I am the Native American heritage. Uh, you know, you guys, you guys are some of the greatest athletes that, that ever stepped in the square circle and ever stepped on the gridiron. And, uh, you know, I know uh, when when you were a kid, I think you played a little football in high school. And, uh, of course, you're, 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 both of your boys went on to co- play a little collegiate uh, football too there. So how, 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 how was what 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 era of family was in the ring when when you were when you were in high school sports and what what drove you to to professional wrestling? Oh, um, you know, thank you, uh, Jerry, uh, for that. Uh, you know, our family goes back deep, seventy five plus years in this wow. industry. Uh, started all the way from Uncle uh, High Chief Peter Maivia back in the day, and then broke into uh, you know Uncle Peter Maivia broke in Uncle Alfred Sika. And Uncle Alfonsica turned around and they broke me, uh, Yoko, and Sammy, which was Hedrick right. back in the day. And, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, I don't know. I, I really, you know, people ask all the time, like, you know, why is it so many of you guys in the industry? You know, well, when you have teachers like, you know, Alfonsica, they were very, very hard on us uh, coming into the industry. They never wanted us to break into the business. They wanted us to go play football, you know, go do something else. And But, you know, when we decided to come to a professional wrestling, which most of us, we all like to throw hands back in the day in high school. You know, we always got in trouble. Mm-hmm. And it, because of the siblings connected to Alpha and Sika, that would be the go-to place to straighten our lives out, which they send the Tonka kid to Uncle Alpha and Sika. They send Yoko to Uncle Alfonsica. They send myself to Uncle Alfonsica, Umanga. So basically, we were wow. all good athletes in high school. A lot of us played football back in the day, but we never excelled to the next level of college because we were already training for the business uh-huh. at age 17. Uh-huh. So by the time we turned 20, Jerry, we were already the mentality. We were already pros in the industry. Uh-huh. We were young. We were like, you know, we were young horses ready to run in this industry. Wow. And back in the day, the promoters, when they see that, 
We got yeah. young talent <laughs> yeah. that are smart, that can work, and they get it. Oh, that that's a promoter's dream. Yeah, exactly. and so and so we were always, you know, uh, uh, we 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 were molded in a different way with our uncles. You know, they sometimes, you know, they would send us out like we'd go out to Randy Hills in Memphis, or Carlos Colon in Puerto Rico. Well, shit, we get out there, we're like making thirty dollars. And after a while, it tested us like, shit, I don't want to, I can't live off of 30 bucks. But at the end of the day, it was them teaching us to respect the money, the business that, you know, that, that you're in, because they wanted to make it as hard as possible for us to quit. So either we learn to respect it and survive and beat the game, or you're just going to quit because it's not for you. Right. And so it. It trickles all the way down now, you know, yeah. uh, with Roman and, and the Usos that are there today. So. Yeah. Well, what, what a story, you know. Uh, you grew up uh, out in San Francisco. Was you a part of the, uh, getting to watch the Cow Palisades with Alpha and Siki when they were hot out there? Pat Patterson used to tell me some of the funniest stories about the Samoan uh, lineage out there when he would go to get heat. That uh, you guys sat in a section up uh, up in the balcony of, of, of the, the Cow Palisades. We yeah, the cheap section. section. But when that heat started, that uh, that that cheap section couldn't hold you out. You guys were jump pats, and you guys were jumping over the balcony, charging the race. And every night he had to find a Samoan getting out of the damn ring. Well, you know, back in the day, that was a Royal Shire uh, uh, promotion right. territory, and we were young kids. I mean, when I say young kids, uh, you know, me, Tonga kid, uh, Yoko, back in the day, I want to say we were maybe six years old. And it's in the nosebleed. So we used to go watch Uncle Fuji, uh, Uncle Alvin Sika, you know, Pat Patterson, Ray Stevens back in the day, because my father was a security guard in the cow palace. And so we'd always like every time they come, we would be there, of course, when our uncles are booked. But here's the thing, Jerry, because not only we seen them in the cow palace like that, but when they came to the Bay Area, we always had a, a Samoan barbecue. We opened up our home. So all the boys on the show, they would come to come eat at the house. You know, the boys, wherever they can get a free fucking meal, right. they're going to be there. <laughs> hey, John, we can't have a free shirt. The boys will be there every time. You know yeah, the we, deal, John. You know? We we come along at the wrong time, John, and they get that Samoan feast out there. Man, yeah. I'd die for one of those things. And, and so when that happened, after we all got together, they got to meet the inside of our family. You know, my mother and my aunties, they all like, you know, they all loved the boys when they came over. They wanted our Samoan culture to make them feel comfortable, make sure they got stuff because they know that the boys been on the road and they're coming somewhat home here. So we would eat and then we'd go to the cow palace. Now, we used to get time to go in the back locker room. And I, when you're a little kid and you yeah. see all of a sudden this guy that was eating your food at your house, now he's talking shit to your uncle and all that. It's like kind of, you know, we wasn't smart. We was like, wait, what's going on here? And so to be able to see that when those, you know, when the heels came out, you know, versus, uh, you know, Pat Patterson was one of the top heels out there. When he wrestled Uncle Peter Maivia in, in the Cow Palace, I want to tell you, gentlemen, soon as they see Uncle Peter Maivia hit, he was juiced and open, wide open, right? You can almost feel all the Polynesians wanting to hit that damn ring. You know, and that's how good, like, uh, that's how good freaking Pat Patterson was yeah. back in the day, you know. 
and he, he can break bread with you in the afternoon, then break your bone that evening. You'd want to fight. You want to hug him at, at the afternoon, sharing bread yeah. with him, but you'd want to fight him at night when he was fighting your uncles. Yeah, they they would always smart booking. They would always bring Peter Maivia back to the cow palace, bring Uncle Alpha and Sika back. You know, they put Uncle Alpha and Sika, and of course, in a tag, put Uncle Peter in a single, and they would what? I think that place holds fifteen thousand. So every month you got those guys going up against Pat Patterson or Ray Steven, you know, every now and then they'll bring in Andre the Giant. So it it was, it was a perfect hub for the Polynesians. That's why (laughs) when the head shrinkers went, remember back in the day, Jerry and John, when we went back to the cow palace, man, I used to freaking hate going back to the cow palace because the company would book us. They knew we would draw because Polynesian demographic. All up, you name it, Los Angeles, San Diego, you know, anything up in the West Coast, just Polynesian galore. But the thing is, by the time we get back from seeing our family, I get my freaking paycheck. I got like 1500 2000 3000 off from the tickets that we're giving out. So I just told off, <laughs> please don't book me over there in the West Coast no more. <laughs> Camp Palace was such a great arena, but it was just a dump. You know, and yeah. you, had to, you had to walk out underneath the people. So when you're a heel there, you had I'd always do the fake start because the shit would rain down from the roof. Yeah. You know, as soon as they'd see the heel come out, they would just they would throw everything at you. So yep. I'd always do, I'd always do the fake move, stuff would go down. As they go to reload, I'd take off to the ring. <laughs> <laughs> and God, yeah, who, and who knows what they're dumping on top of you? Oh my goodness! You know what I mean? oh, yeah. it was they're brutal. They're brutal over there, you know. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I was telling John. I've seen some interviews that that the family's done about uh, High Chief uh, Peter Maivia. Did you have a lot of interaction with him, uh, your uncle, when you were growing up? You know, John. Um, again, we were young when when Uncle Peter Maivia and Uncle Alpha, you know, back in the day when they'd come uh, to the house. Peter Maivia, uh, he actually lived in not too far away from the Cow Palace, and there, there's this big park there, which. You know, every April, once a year, the Samoan community, Polynesian community, we all come together and they have, you know, they play cricket. They have all these booths together and they recognize, you know, certain Polynesians through that year. And so, you know, pretty much, you know, our relationship with uncle was just that as a kid, seeing this, you know, this high chief being respected and, you know, in the community. But when he came to, you know, the Cow Palace, it was like that huge baby face, you know, wrestler. So, you know, that's as far as, you know, what I can remember is just being around as, you know, a six-year-old kid, you know, around all the stuff that, you know, Uncle Alpha and Sika and Peter Maivia did in the community back in the day. Yeah. You know, I, I got I, I got a great story. I was telling John a little bit earlier uh, uh, before uh, we got on with you, Kishi. The first time that I was, you know, I came along a little bit after the high chief Peter uh, Maivia, so I, I missed him. But Alf and Siki, you know, they were in a prime when 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 I Jack and I were working, my brother and I were working steady. First time I'd ever ever, ever touched bases with them, we went down to, to Puerto Rico, down that Bayamon outside arena, you know. I, 15, 20,000 people. The damn mm-hmm. place, of course, is packed. Carlos did a great job promoting pro- promoting down there. We're booked against Alpha and Siki. We didn't have a clue who these guys were, what they looked like, or anything about them. So, you know, uh, baby faces go to the ring first down there. So we're, we're in the ring, you know, 
man, the ring is just crowded. All Puerto Ricans coming up to after for signals. All of a sudden, we hear this commotion. We look back. The first base uh, dugout is the babyface. Third base mm-hmm. dugout is, is the hill. So here comes out of the out of the uh, out of that third baseman. Man, it's like everybody left the ring side and just rushed the third base line. By the time they got to that third base line, Alf and Siki had stepped out of that dugout. They did an about face. They were trampling over each other, stampeding over, trying to get back to the baby face. Because <laughs> Alf and Siki, Jack and I looked out there. At that time, they had those Afro hairs, you know, about uh, three foot wide on each side of them. Jack and I looked at each other. Here are two little skinny Oklahoma boys, you know, big, big old boy, Samoa boy, come out there. Jack and I looked, what the hell are we going to do? I said, I guess we're going to listen a lot tonight. <laughs> <laughs> we we did everything they wanted us to do plus, man. <laughs> but what, what, what a great guy to work with and what, what great athletes. I mean, you look at the size of those guys, and then you get in the ring with them. And, you know, you – you, you kind of adjust your 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 speed and your motion, you know, to your opponent a lot of times. Man, we didn't need to make any adjustments at all except to pick up the tempo a little bit when we were working with those guys. They were some of the best athletes I ever crawled in the ring with. And we, we had that had that natural chemistry with each other. And, and, and you know, we become brothers just right off the bat. You know, uh, an island boy and a native boy. It's uh we become friends right off the bat, man. What good people they were. Hmm. You know, one other thing is that, uh, you know, your brother, uh, Umaga, what, what an athlete. You talk about athletes. He wrestled a match with John Cena one time. I think it was a Royal Rumble. And, you know, that's when we had different uh, commentary teams for different tables. So I was, hmm. I was not doing commentary. I remember taking off my headphones and just listening to the crowd because I was sitting ringside. And at one point, Umaga goes running across the tables and does a splash. Cena moves. He goes to the table. It was one of the best wrestling matches I've ever seen. And I've mm. seen tens of thousands of matches. Yeah. It was He was such a good athlete. It was unbelievable to watch him in person work. Yeah, well, you know, Eki Umaga, you know, he was, uh, uh, was supposed to go and play NFL football. You know, so my brother Eki here, you know, he wasn't raised here in the United States. He was back home, back in the islands. And, uh, you know, he was a big star playing in high school. Uh, he was like, you know, uh, back in the day, he was like 230. This, uh, you know, a sophomore, like 230, 245. And Eki was like 6'2". But he was playing running back, you know. And he <laughs> wow. used to just, oh, you know, and back home, you know, those days there, you know, he, for some reason, he couldn't run John in cleats. Like, Umaga couldn't run in cleats. So when it came time, he played, he'd be the only one out there running barefooted. Like, no cleats, you know? And so, you know, he became a huge, huge star. And then, you know, uh, in football back home. But my uncle's Alpha and Sika back in the day used to take, like, independent wrestling back home to the island. So he would bring guys like, you know, Kamala, Ken Patera, uh, S.D. Jones. You know, probably some of the kids that are listening here probably don't even know uh, a few of the names there, but Eki was like the, the the kid to help all the boys get their stuff back in the islands. And so he would, you know, he was like a natural athlete. You know, he'd, we'd sit there and, you know, be in the locker room, help Uncle Alfred so he could bring the boys, get their stuff. And it's that teaching there amongst different of the talent that he sees on TV. Now 
they're there in the island. He got time to spend one-on-one time with different of the uh, different uh, guys that, that that came to the island. And so finally, one day, he just uh, you know told my parents and you know uh, said he wanted to try his hand into the industry. And of course, we were like, "Damn it, another one!" Yeah, go go. <laughs> You're gifted at playing football. Go 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 NFL. But he wanted to try it, and you know we put him through the same deal. You know, same thing what Alfonsica put us through, and you know he became one of the biggest stars in professional wrestling. Uh, gone, oh, gone too soon. Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah wait, wait, too wait, soon. He was such a way too soon. Been, he would have he would have been a big star for years and years. Mm-hmm. He was so talented. Watching him was a pure pleasure. Yeah, we def- definitely miss him. Yeah, been <clears throat> been in been in the talent development department for so long. I used to tell everybody at WWE, man. You know, I don't need to travel around the United States to find talent. Just buy me a condo down in Samoa. Let me go down there and <laughs> let me go down there because I love the beach. I love the islands. Uh, let me go down there, spend about a year down there, and I'll have I'll have us more damn natural talent than, than I could find in you know searching every college in the United States. The athletes down there, I, I'm surprised that you know the NFL. They probably have a combine or something down there that tests these kids and and Samoa. Well, you know, they did a very, I was very proud. They did a big, huge 60-minute uh, program thing on the athletes, the football players that are coming up mm. from that small island. Mm. And if you ever get a chance to go back and check that out, you know, that Troy Palomalo on there. And they talked about, you know, these kids, you know, our culture, John and Jerry, you know, as young kids, the men do all the work as far as cooking and stuff like that. So, you know, our cardio and stuff like that would have go up to the mountains back in the day. We would go get all the stuff like hunt for hogs to be able to cook that, you know, cook the hogs on Sunday morning dinner at, you got to get up at four in the morning to prep all this food, but you get everything on a Saturday. So every Saturday was the same routine as a young Samoan kid. You would have to go up to the plantation. You go get the bananas, the grapefruits, the taros, Everything that you're going to have cooked for dinner for uh, a Sunday morning after everybody comes from church. And so all these mountains, you know, that's a lot of cardio. That's a lot of work on. By the time they get these, you know, these weave these bags, they put all the taro, the coconut. We all know how heavy those damn coconuts are. Mm. So they'll put them and you've seen them before. They put them on bags and that's like our weights. And these young kids at the age of six, eight years old, 10 years old on up. They're carrying this sucker all the way back down the mountain. So by the time they come down and this is consistent, this is the way of life. By the time they get to playing any type of sports, be it football, be it basketball, be it cricket, they're already ready. They're like as far as being, you know, being in shape, you know, they're ready. All they need to be done is to be able to teach them, you know, how to play the game, what the rules are of the game, because otherwise, it's just full-blown rugby. Soon as you get the ball, you're asked, my job is just <laughs> – but, you know, nobody smarts them up. They got to be able to learn. And, you know, when 60 Minutes came down and did that, they did a lot of recruiting, a lot of Polynesians from Samoan Islands, the Tongan Islands, where, you know, Haku Barbarians from, also out there in Fiji, where Jimmy Snuka is from. So there's, you know, very proud of a lot of Polynesians that come out from the islands.
And not only that, the respect they have. You know, I'm, I'm friends with uh, Wasel Sarevi, who's probably oh, the greatest yeah. sevens rugby player of all time from Fiji. You know, Fiji has by far the, their gold medalist last mm-hmm. year in the uh, Olympics in sevens, best sevens team in the world. So I, I run a, a program, you know, using rugby to help uh, at-risk kids. And in Bermuda, we brought over the, the a team that was the, the Islanders from the United States to play Saracens, which is the best rugby club in the world. So you've got these great athletes when the game is over, you know, everybody was out drinking beer, watching the guys play rugby. We look out there and the, the Islanders, as the team name was, is out there picking up the trash from the stands. Hmm. And I told my kids, I said, look at that. That's some of the best rugby players in the world. And we've got maintenance to pick all this up, but they wouldn't leave until the field was clean. It, yeah. it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Of course, we all went down there and helped them with it, but it's just, it's such a respectful, wonderful culture. Well, you know, it's the culture of, you know, what we call kumama. Kumama means wherever you go and anywhere. They don't care what what type of celebrity status or even if you're not a celebrity. You know, when we come to different places, we learn to clean up the mess that, that we made or maybe the mess that we didn't make. It's just in us all the time because it's that work ethic that's instilled to us as a young kids, a young Polynesian kids. You know, the worst thing that they did back home now, uh, guys, is they open up freaking fast food restaurants. Uh-huh. So when they open fast food restaurants, uh, all of a sudden the Polynesians are like, oh, it's just easy to go through, drive a car through and just order your food now versus going to prep it up, you know, in the mountains and get all that, you know, done. So, you know, now, you know, the Polynesian kids here in the States when they go to the Polynesian kids back home in the island, it, they're having like to be able to, you know, kind of find each other because American uh, Samoans, Polynesian kids, they're easy to the easy life. Meaning I could just drive through the drive through get me some food. Here, it's work. Like you got to work to be able, you want to eat, you ask, you want seafood, you go swimming, go, go fishing in the ocean. You want some good meat, you go up there, go hunting. But here in the United States, you know, when they come from from the states, it's like it's like that. They're so used to, you know, not understanding, knowing what their culture is, and that's why I always preach a lot to the kids here in the states. Learn to take time to go home to the state, to the islands of Samoa where you're from, and go learn to really understand, you know, what your culture is, how they live on a daily basis, because you really can't learn here what your culture here is in the United States. It's just a whole new different vibe. You, you, may, you mentioned a name uh, uh, when you were running down some, some of the name from the island there, Haku. We, we, got, we got Tonga yeah. down here in Florida. Yeah. I mean, uh, he was just a kid. <laughs> well, I didn't realize how young he was. So what Jack and I routine was, we'd always get a rookie, you know, and let them drive a car and we would sit there and, and drink, our, uh, drink our beer, you know, so we, stay out of trouble most of the time so one when, when i when uh tonga kid or tonga kid at the time come to florida all right kid here's the car you know here's the keys well i you know i, I really don't know you just get behind the wheel and go so we we get down there and we'd notice the guy was so erratic in his drive we found out the kid was only 16 years old and didn't even have a damn driver's license, never driven a car. Until we got to drive a damn car with two drunk idiots. <laughs> you, you know, there's a, a true story here, Jerry. 
You know, my brother, uh, the Tonga kid, Sam Fatu, um, you know, he teamed up back in the day with, with Jimmy Snuka uh, when they had the Piper versus Bob Orton. And so back in the day, Jimmy, you know, with Vince, whatever drama that they had amongst each other, they had to fill in that spot. So in the meantime, here's my uncle Alfonsica. They told this, hey, we got our nephew that can fill into that spot there. And so, you know, they throw they throw a Tonga kid into the uh, into the match. And next, you know, they're going all around Philadelphia, Boston, you know, Boston Garden came back uh, uh, to the Madison Square Garden. And, you know, he was the youngest one professional wrestler to ever, ever sell out the Madison Square Garden. And so it was a, one of my proud stories that I tell about my young, he's younger than me. You know, it's it's Rikishi, his Tonga kid, then his Umaga, right? Wow. So there's, there's the three brothers in, in uh, wow. from my from my uncle's Alpha and Sika's you know, our, our mother is Uncle Alfonsica's sister, older sister. And so the Tonga kid, now he broke in before me. So I come there, you know, your younger brother trying to show uh -huh. off to you. You know, he comes in, he, he goes back in the back and he gets a draw from uh, from Arnie Scolin. Arnie gives him $5,000. The young kid, 17 freaking, <laughs> however, whatever, old, you know, he was like 17 years old. So I'm watching this. He's counting, Arnie's counting all this $100 bills. And I was like, shit, you made that for tonight? He said, that was just a little bit. And in my mind, I was like, okay, keep in mind, I was just training. I haven't broken the business there with Uncle. And then I was like, okay, so we're getting ready to go to the next town, to Boston Garden that night. I'll tell you something, gentlemen, that probably you don't know, but my brother can't read or can't write, right? But he was so over with Jimmy Snooker back in the day, like his angle, he would have fans. He would tell fans they'd give you some tickets. You want to, you know, go with me on the road. We're going to Boston, Massachusetts. We would follow all these fans, these different fans, to the arena where he's got to work. His, they had those. You remember those big maps back in the day? Yeah. Right. Oh, we don't even see those damn Atlas maps anymore, yeah. right? I don't think Ever. anybody can read them today. Yeah, I right. don't. I don't. I don't need. Everybody had one in the back pocket there, your back seat there. You just reach yeah. back there. Where right. am I? <laughs> that was like the old school. You know, you uh, had a cooler G full of, GPS. Yeah, you had a cooler full of beer, and you had those big uh, atlas maps. Yeah, yeah, but, that's right. So and we a, would and, and and OAG for us later, guys. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We had the OAG. Right. Yeah. And so that was one of the stories that I like to tell about my brother back in the day. Yeah. You know, being so young, but he was that exactly, yeah, yeah. Jerry. What you're saying, he would be the guy to jump in, and he would drive us all over, all over the place. Like you're paying your dues, you know. Go, go get the suitcase out the back of the trunk, back the <laughs> trunk up, blah blah blah. But he became a good worker with him uh -huh. and Haku, yeah, as the Islander <coughs> with uh, with Bobby Heenan. Yeah. You know, they they were one of the best tag teams. I used to love watching them work against. Uh, the Hart Foundation back in the day. I, I know it's family, but you you had to have favorites, you know, of, of your family growing up in the ring. Who you enjoyed and who you kind of wanted to be like, and and or did you just take a little bit from everybody, or, or how did you structure you? Because you you had so much diversity in, in your family to pick from. Well, you know, uh, 
body wise, I've always wanted to be like Jimmy Snuka. Of course, that never happened. Jimmy Snuka. <laughs> we Jimmy all was, did, brother. We yeah, did. I did. <laughs> For some reason, like I tried as a young kid and my genes just didn't agree with me, whatever the case. And so, you know, uh, you know, that with Jimmy Snuka, um, uh, with Uncle uh, Uncle Alfred Sika was for me was like the the respect level uh, towards people towards them in the industry. It seemed like to me, Jerry and John, like every time somebody met Uncle Alfred Sika, it's like they feared them. They judged the book already by its cover <laughs> before really getting to know them. Like in the ring, like they look like that, like they. Rip your they, freaking they head scared off. The, they scared the hell out of me. I mean, the truth yeah. I'm a young kid, and I'm looking across that ring in Puerto Rico, man. I see these two monsters out there. They're like aliens. You know? and I, holy shit. I know what I can do, but I don't think I can do it against those guys. <laughs> I start yeah. having self-doubt. You know? <laughs> and, you know, and, you know, finally, when you do get in the ring with them, you know, they were my uncles. So I was, I was like, scared of them, you know, like. You know, my mom gave them the green light to fuck me up if I didn't listen. You know what I mean? And when we got into training, I made one one false move. This is me being green. I made one false statement to my uncle, Sika, like, oh, this stuff is fake. And he goes, uh, you know, stop what he's doing. He said, what did you say? I said, oh, no, I didn't say that, uncle. I didn't say that. Just come here. Get in the ring. I, I go to get in the ring. Here it goes. Soon as we go to lock up, when we went to lock up, this right, this right elbow slid right into my right, my whole my mouth right here. Busted my whole teeth out, busted my I mean, I was just you would think somebody took a blade and cut my jaw, just gushing out blood. Now, when that happened, you know, he looked at me and grabbed me really grabbed me and had me open my eyes and look at him. And he told me, if you're going to come into this business, don't you ever, ever disrespect my bread and butter. And fucking threw me down like a freaking rag dog. From that day on, every time I stepped foot in that ring, it was utmost respect in my mind. Because right. I keep that keeps flashing back to my, my head when, you know, my uncle popped me like that because... I said something stupid like that, you know, and now, you know, as you train, this shit hurts. It breaks your body. It hurts, you know, you know, it mentally messes you up if you're not smart and mental, you know, physically, it, it can really damage your body if you're not learning your correct fundamentals and to be able to perfect your craft in this squared circle. Because they always told me that no matter how good you are, that squared circle, the three-quarter plywood ring wins every night our job is to survive it so you know, one thing that was so disarming uh, about say your uncles when i met them it was the same as you know i, I became pretty good friends with uh, haku when he was in wwe and we talk about his kid was playing at utep at the time playing linebacker down there we go eat mm -hmm. steak on tv days and, and they're so respectful and, and almost quiet you know and humble when you meet them and yeah. I remember sitting there with Haku so many times, and I'm thinking, this guy's a killer. <laughs> he's an absolute <laughs> killer. But you never know it by talking to him. Maybe I'll look at him and say, you know, he's a really big guy. But, you know, you never – he was so humble and so respectful. The entire family uh, was like that. I know he's not part of the family, but he's you know, being yeah. an Islander. 
Uh, it's just that culture that that breeds that. It's just, it's a remarkable thing, and it's very disarming when you when you meet for the first time about how humble and, and respectful uh, yeah. Islanders are. Well, you never want to judge these. You never want to piss these guys off, and I'm talking no. about Alfonsica or Haku, Barbarian, you know Uncle Jimmy back in the day. You really that for us being up underneath that umbrella. We've learned a lot just by watching all of us. Like what, <laughs> what to do, what not to do, what to say, or when to get the hell out of the way. I mean, there, you know, all the examples that we've seen as young rookies coming up in the industry, you know, I got to pay it all to them because they really paved the way for us younger Polynesians in the bloodline coming <laughs> up, you know, to kind of smarten us up what the industry is about. And, you know, the domino effect as being a Polynesian kid from the islands, as just representing Polynesian all over the world. Like, you know, they, 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 they teach us look beyond professional wrestling, you know, because, because professional wrestling is going to be your platform to be able to domino effect into personal lives of the kids that are coming up in Polynesian uh, today. So, you know, it's, it's been a blessing for us to still have our uncles around. I saw a great story that I was like, watching some interviews, getting ready for, for this one with you to make sure I you know, had your history right. Cause you know, even, even when you're friends for a long time, you don't know everybody's full history. So mm. looking through some interviews today and I, I saw a really cool story about you and Yoko. Uh, Yoko was, uh, I loved Yoko. I went on the, yeah. the tour with Yoko a couple of times to Japan when I first started, he was always so nice to me, but he helped you out in a big way when, when you needed it with uh, heat in your house and, and didn't have any money. Uh, well, tell a story. That's a really cool story. Well, you know, uh, again, um, I, so, you know, back in the day, uh, uh, Yoko was, uh, you know, won the, won the championship belt back in the day. So Yoko was the guy, you know, and me and Sammy, we were like, uh, you know, mid Carters back in the day. And of course we won the belts and I'm thinking, okay, we got the belts. We want to make some real good money now. Right. And so <laughs> what happened was I dipped most of my savings and I just signed a contract with WWE. So I dipped most of my savings. I said, damn it, I'm going to buy me a house for my kids. Make sure we're going to start off with that. So when I bought this freaking house here, uh, no matter than, uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks, we were on the road. And I got a call from my family that, you know, Sefo and uh, my twins, we were young back in the day. And this house had no uh, heat in there. And it was freaking freezing back in Pensacola, Florida. So me and Yoko was on the road and, Yoko loved my kids. I mean, it was Uncle Rodney when Uncle Rodney came home. Like, he'd shower these kids with $100 bills, go buy them this good. And I'd get hot at him because I'd tell quit giving my kids $100 fucking dollars because I can't give them that. <laughs> so every time you come home, it's like, you know, they're all happy to see you and stuff. But when I come home, it's like, they're winning. I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to give them the $100. And so he would pull out, uh, when he found that out, John, we were riding on a highway and, uh, you know, the following morning I was coming home and, uh, you know, he, he said, what's wrong? I said, man, my freaking heat went out in the house. It's freaking cold. I got to figure something. He could feel that I was stressing. You know, how can I work? Can I make a loan or how am I going to fix it? He popped open his checkbook, man. He signed it. Didn't even put a number on there. And he just gave it to me. Wow. He says, go home, go home and fix the heat for your family and, you know, take care of my, you know, uh, my sister and my my nieces, uh, my nephews and stuff. So, but that was just a little 
inside piece how Yoko was. That's just one person he was generous to. Like, he would even be like that to the boys. If we all go out to eat together, the bill would come sometimes 800 bucks. Uh, you know, maybe 400 was Yoko. Because Yoko, you know, he, he put it away back in the day. But it would be 800. Before we get to grab our bill, it's already been taken care of. You know? And he'd done that numerous times for our family. You know, those that didn't have it so, so good in life. You know, he would just secretly in silence reach out and just would take care of that what needs to be taken care of so he was just a good-hearted person you know he just loved love people love to help people you know and rodney was that type of person you know in the locker room oh yeah he's the giant just a sweetheart he, a sweetheart a of a sweetheart. guy just a wonderful person and and he loved you too right here he <laughs> loved you jerry oh. he loved oh, you man. jbl you know, I know that for a fact, you know. Oh, so, I just love, you know, he was just he was such a kind guy. I just loved being yeah, around. He was funny. He was real funny. He loved yeah. to rap. <laughs> it was a great. <laughs> was a big Free stuff. Be- before he there was Snoop. Be- yeah. Before there was Snoop Doggy Dog, there was Yoko. There was That's Yoko. Right. That's right. <laughs> and- Yoko was such a guy leader in a dressing room too. I think a lot, a lot of that's missing in our history of our business. Cause he, he was a leader and he was, of course, he was a huge guy, but not only was he a huge guy, but he was kind of the undertaker before undertaker became undertaker. He was the guy that, that the guys would go to to ask for advice and ask for, how do I do this? And, uh, Yoko was always there to uh, to help help a brother out and uh, to help a complete stranger out. And I just think that's just part of your heritage and part of your culture that that you guys grew up in. Because you know, as big and bad and as nasty and mean as you guys want to be, you guys are just a reverse to your friends and to people that really don't even know you. Some of the kindest kindest folks out there. They're just. It runs through that blood, brother, that you got there. And that's the reason I think John and I both are so proud, you know, just to be associated with you guys and say, man, I knew him. I went up and down the road with him. I've had some fun with that guy. And they go, man, well, what, they, what are they like? I mean, I, I went to dinner with some friends last night. And I, they, I told them we had you lined up. Oh, man, I, I love him. You know what I you still, I mean, after all these years, the family it still brings a smile to everybody's face and, and that fear to everybody's face. So. <laughs> you know, Yoko was Yoko was the uh, the Andre chair, you know, in the bus. You know, you had Andre yeah. and then you had Yoko was next, you know, and, and it wasn't just a matter of size. It was, a you know, that was part of it. But he got oh. that middle seat in the back, you know, that didn't have any seats in front of it. But it was respect. It was a respect that the boys had for Yoko, same as they had for Andre, then they had for Taker. You know, he always got that middle chair in the back because it was a matter of respect that you're showing uh, respect to a guy. You know, he never had to ask for it, you know, because yeah. guys with real respect don't have to ask for stuff. They, they just get it because of who they are. And that's how Yoko was. Well, you know, Yoko, you know, we all know sometimes when you have a guy that's in that top spot, you know, sometimes they be, they can become assholes, mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean, the truth be told. But when Yoko was in that spot, when he was the one that was, you know, in front of the line uh, uh, back in the day, he never switched up. He never let that, you know, affect his relationship with the locker room 
all of us is in there. You, you can never tell that that he let that get to his head. He understood what his role was, and at the same time, he shared everything, being his knowledge, being if you know his wealth, if somebody needed help financial wise. But he was such a, a good, positive leader uh, back in the days that you couldn't help but love this guy. Yeah. And if you if you didn't know Rodney, then you really didn't know who he was. You didn't take time to understand who this big giant with a humble heart. And then when you have guys like Taker back in the day when Taker worked with Rodney, when they did that whole loop together. Yeah. Now you got two guys at the top right there that was leading our whole crew, our whole crew back in the day. You couldn't help but learn. You couldn't help but, you know, it was a fun time for all of us to be on the road, to even be considered to be on that roster was a fun time for everybody because not only you were making money, but at the same time you were learning what was going on, how how you're supposed to be. Because every day we believe, every day that you're in this industry, it's always a learning process because of the time of the change, you know, how how things, you know, move forward back in the day. So it's it's just, you know, I'm very blessed to be amongst you guys you know this crew here uh back in the day because it really really for me and you know my family uh helped helped us out a lot yeah you you look back at at taker's ascension to that to that spot that that he earned and 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 deserved you know uh, as the leader you can see so much resemblance of things that he picked up from Yoko and, and uh, during, during their course of just, just Taker getting his feet wet, so to say. And, you, and you, could, you could see that in Taker. And I think you can still see a lot of that leadership in there today, the kindness that this guy has, the respect. Yeah. It, it, it goes back to Yoko. And every locker room you know, since the, the mid-60s always had somebody like that 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 you could look up to that you could go and get 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 advice from but those two guys there started starting with Yoko and and Andre well definitely throw Andre in there because Andre Andre earned all that respect too but uh, you know in modern times that 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 we we were constantly on the road with with Yoko Yoki and uh, and 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 Taker those guys, man, oh man, they they were so similar in their leadership, and uh, and you too. I mean, you you were you were a stand up guy in the locker room too. The guys really respect, and that's what I always respect. I enjoyed working with you. I enjoyed, you know, help helping helping you guys with with your your finishes and all that stuff. We we had a great crew that really worked together. That there wasn't a lot of egos. I mean, we all yeah. had our we all had our egos, but. We kept them in check in that locker room area and in that arena, and I think that's the reason we clicked and and became so 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 good. You know, I want to say this to John. You know, when I found out I was coming out to this show here, <clears throat> you know, back in the day, I don't know if John remembers. This was way back when JBL was first coming in. Came in with the cowboy guy. I think you were with uh, Mary uh, uh, Dutch. Dutch Mantel. Yeah. So this is where I first start learning that 360 bump. Remember, John? Yeah. So do we go out now? This is John's first TV, I believe it was. That's right. Yeah. And then we'll say, we're going to put this guy over, blah, blah, blah. So I'm looking at John. Fucking John was jacked up, man. I was like, what's your clothesline? I said, got you. So in the meantime, I just learned how to do this freaking 360. 
right? I think the match was like 30 seconds. They wanted him one minute of yeah. 30 seconds. Man, when John came and uh, we went in there and had that match, Jerry, I already knew to my mind what I was going to do to him. I said, you're going to throw that clothesline and I wanted to do that 360, uh-huh. 360 for you. And in my mind, John, I was hoping that I landed right for you. <laughs> and when I did, when I pretty much, Jerry, I had no choice but to go <laughs> <No>. over, right? <laughs> when John threw that lariat and, and I hit that 360, for me, I was like, damn it, hell yeah. Because to me, I wanted to deliver that move for you, right. uh, especially when I was practicing, yeah. right? When That's that right. happened. I, I, for some reason, that just came up to my mind when I was like, man, first time I met John was that time when he first came in. That's right. And he was getting ready, you know, they were getting ready to put some steam out for running. I can tell you to this day, that was one of the coolest things ever done for me was what you did. Because they told me you were working too, and I saw it's awesome, man. Because, you know, I knew you from Texas. Not knew you, but I knew seen you in Texas. And I, you know, know, when I got there and all of a sudden you're going to put me over. And and I thought, you got to be kidding me. And, And you were awesome with it. And then he took that massive bump for me. To this day, that was one of the coolest things anybody's ever done for me. It's, I had so much respect for that. It was so cool. Uh, all love, my friend. All love. The domino effect of 20, 30 years forward, you know, it, it's things that we utilize our platform here for a lot of the kids in the future to understand that. You know, this thing here, know your role. That's when right. It's time for other people to come through. I teach my kids in the academy the wheel turns. So when it's time for us to put another person over, go yep. do the best job you yep. can because that's what you're getting paid for. So, but yeah. anyways, I love you, my friend. I that brought memories back when I found out I was coming on. <laughs> I, I wanted to think when did I first meet John, oh, I, and that's what happened. So much respect for you because you you could have said no, you know, you could have told them, yeah, to do it, and you just, yeah, it's great. He's a new kid. Let's give him a chance. Put him over. We're gonna put him over strong. And I did the same, you know, when I was, as I got, you know, in my career where I was doing the same spot, you know, I had a chance to put over, you know, CM Punk when he first came yeah. in, and, uh, Cena and those guys, you know, and that was my role. And I, I said, I'm going to put you over as strong as possible. I remember the first time we we're in Madison Square Garden, me and CM Punk were in the, in the last match. And I said, you got to make your name in the garden. I'm going to work yeah. my ass off tonight for you. And I'm going to put you over right in the middle, which is what was called, you know, it wasn't like I came up with that. <laughs> But uh, I remember, you know, that was just the respect that you get coming down the business from guys in my past, you to guys to me. OK, here's mm-hmm. what I'm going to do to to pay it forward. And yeah. that's that's what you're supposed to do. Not everybody does it. Right. right. When, it's, yeah. when it happens, you got much love for people who, who do yeah. something like that. And sure. I, I think I think that's the reason the three of us are here together today because we realized the business was just out of business. You know, when it comes your time to to move on, it's your time. You know, and uh, and so uh, we 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 had such a great crew working at that time, and it, and like I said, you know, the, the ego stayed in check, and as, and uh, we, if they didn't, we had guys like you, Kishi, and Taker to to bring those egos down to the Godfather. <laughs> And Layfield with his lariats. <laughs> <laughs> That's those- right. And we had so much fun. Keith, I don't know if you remember, there was a time that me and Barry Wyndham were in Oklahoma. And was, we, had, we had a Polaroid camera. So we drove all over Oklahoma, and it took a picture of me going to the bathroom on the state sign. And then we went to Jerry Briscoe's hometown. And I'm about to go to the bathroom with Barry taking a picture on his, on his hometown. And <laughs> you and the sheep passed by. 
Oh, and, Lord. Oh, and the sheik thought my name was Brad Shaw. Two names. Yeah. So he, <laughs> he, he sees me out there in the middle of this field by the city limit sign, and he rolls down the window, and he goes, ah, uh, Mr. Shaw, is everything okay? And I looked around, and it was you and Sheik. And I thought, what in the world are you guys doing here? Said, oh, yes, Mr. Sheik, I was just going to the bathroom on Mr. Briscoe's hometown. He goes, ah, oh, excellent, Brad. You're such a fine young man. And you guys do it all. <laughs> damn, damn, Casey, here you are. Here you are, a, a, a brother with me, brother, brother of the bloodline. Did you see this guy taking a whiz on my hometown, St. Oh, well. John? And, you, you know, I was and you, kinda, you didn't give him a sink face. I'm disappointed. I, I, I was staying in my lane, Jerry. I was staying in my lane. <laughs> I, I, I knew my role. I knew know my role. Your, know your role, Zucker. <laughs> you should put those pictures up in catering the next day. And I couldn't yeah. for Jerry to see them. And I, I'm sitting there waiting for him to walk in and see him because I know he's going to stretch me. You know he's going to be mad. You know, like he always is. At me. I, I didn't need to. I I, I called in reinforcements. I look in and freaking Jack Briscoe and Danny Hodge walk in, and I'm like, oh my, no, no, of all people, you know. Jerry, Jerry, only John does stuff like that. Uh, no. You know, back in the day, John would go over and beyond to rip people back in the day. So help me if you got on JBL's bad side. Oh, forget it. You're in trouble, man. <laughs> so much fun. Yeah, man. I definitely miss you guys, man. And so happy to see that you guys are doing well. And I'm happy for me now on a daily basis. I always tell my kids and my family, I said, if I wake up the next morning, we already winning. Exactly. That's right. Amen. Amen. What a wild ride you had, though. I mean, you started down there in uh, a crazy place with uh, the, the Von Eric boys. I mean, those boys. That was oh, like, Lord. That was like oh, a, Lord. <laughs> it was like a street fight. I, I, I wrestled Terry and Kevin a bunch. I mean, I knew I, I, I liked both of them very much. But Yeah, wow. but you you know, and that was some stiff, some stiff Ooh. competition. Like an original I, Michael Hayes, right? Yeah, you, well, you you had Eric Emery out there back in the day. Eric Emery, yeah, yeah Eric. Uh, Skandar Akbar. You know, we we were young kids and we were thrown in there. Michael Hayes actually booked us over there, and he stuck us with freaking Buddy Roberts. Me and <laughs> oh wow, that's <laughs> okay. so. How that came about, you know, Uncle Alpha was the one that broke in Michael Hayes. Right from Pensacola. Yeah, P all Pensacola guys. Yeah. yeah, so they're all P Pensacola. So that's how that happened. Where Uncle Alpha sent us to to Texas when Michael Hayes was in charge back in the day. So he said, "I want to send my nephew and my son, and I want you to keep an eye on these boys here." We we were like eighteen, nineteen. Tell him we Michael like Hayes to keep telling Michael Hayes to keep his eyes on teenagers is not a good <laughs> advice. That's right. <laughs> That's like Black Jack Mulligan when he sent Barry Wendell down here to Florida. He come, he come to Jack and I. He said, I want you to take care of my son. He's 18 years old and he's just starting in the business. We look, yeah. Man, we'll take care of him. All right. Yeah, we, we, we was already corrupted. It started in, <laughs> that started in Dallas, Texas, John. Once we were hooked up and Michael stuck Buddy Roberts with us, then you had you had Gordy out there with, with uh, PSAs. Man, so you have these two young kids and we're traveling with the Freebirds. The rest is history. <laughs> yeah. And so they would what always you, tell what us. You can remember. Yeah, they would always tell us that you know they would book us, book us against the Von Erics. You got Kerry, and then you got Kevin, right? It's one of you know Kevin just 
man, if he throws something at you, you know it's coming. It landed. No, yeah, <laughs> and then you're working with these guys here, and you see them most of the time. They're just they're, they're in la la land, you know, <laughs> back in the day. So we're like, okay, you know, we're young, so you hit me, I'm gonna fuck you up too. That was our mentality for us to survive because we would call our officers. Damn, these guys are not wrestling us. We feel like we're getting beat up. And he, uh, so my uncle says, well, you know what a receipt is? <laughs> I says, yeah. And then to give him a receipt. So we would go every time Michael was like ribbing us, would always book us with these guys. And when we book, it's like every night we're just fighting. Boom, boom. We would come back. We got a big knot on our forehead, potato in the back here. You know, after a while, I said, okay, this thing here. It's starting to not to be fun anymore, you know? And so it just ended up that, you know, you know, after a while, we kind of just got used to working with these cats. That was their way. We just adjusted, man. But it was the rib from Michael Hayes to put, put Buddy Roberts with us and then have <laughs> us booked against those guys there. So, Because they loved it. If you give them a receipt back, they loved it. It yeah. was fun to them. I mean, when they swing that chair, John, you know, there's a way of swinging a metal chair. <laughs> they they swing that damn metal chair, you know? And we was like, well, screw you. We're going to swing it right back. And so uh -huh. it it was that constantly, constantly. And, you know, we're, finally, when we got away from them, we were kind of like, we were kind of relieved after that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, the goodness. guys you had to watch, you know, uh, Buddy Roberts was one, but, uh, you know, Owen was, Owen was bad. And Kurt Henning was bad. How about when Kurt Henning got you with a towel on the stink face? I mean, that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Only Kurt would do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you don't even see that coming. Kurt, Kurt is, Kurt is that smooth, and it couldn't have been a better place for him to do it in front of seventy thousand people. I believe we were <laughs> we were in Australia, John. We were in uh, uh, Brisbane or so, Sydney. And it was a big, huge uh, uh, coliseum we were at. I worked against Kurt, and Kurt comes with his towel. I'm thinking that he threw his freaking towel, uh, you know, out the ring. But by the time I come to give the stink face, he turns around, stick that damn towel right up the crack of my, my ass there. <laughs> and and, and he, he would just sit there and laugh and just laugh about it and have a good time. But, you know, that's how the, that's how the old school cats were back in the day. Normally, somebody would get hot, like, hey, you fuck my shit up, you know, in front of people. This shit ain't funny. For us, it was like, all right, you're one up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. You're one up. I'll catch you the next time. Yeah, you know? payback's a bitch. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and that was the one thing back in the day. You didn't mind getting ripped, you know, because it was just, no. you just wanted to, you, all right, you got me. You got me really good. I'm going to yeah. get you back, but you got me really good. You know what they say? You give a rip, you better learn how to take a rip. Because you don't know what type of rib you're going to get, you know? I mean, I remember when smoking guns, you remember Barton Billy, when they first came in with the cowboy gimmick. So we had an old Texas run. Of course, you know, they're great. And yeah, we're cowboys. We're, you know, we're this superstars. So they tried to rib, uh, they tried to rib Uncle Fuji. Oh, which, Lord. Okay. Wrong guy. You, absolutely. <laughs> Fuji. I love so it, the, but I was scared of it. Now they go in and we checked into the hotel and then we told, listen, we're following. You guys are going to follow us to the arena. Make sure you guys are not late. So these cats go up and they must have done something to Uncle Fuji a week ago. 
Alcafuji didn't forget. So these guys here come. Remember, they used to rent those Cadillac DeVille's back in the day. It was a lot more roomy for the guys. So these guys just starting, but they rented that Cadillac DeVille. So I was like, oh, this guy's already getting big-headed. We know they should be in a Ford Taurus, uh-huh. but they're in a Cadillac, right? So Alcafuji, as soon as they go upstairs, they park their car in the lobby, John. When these guys came back down, all the tires were off of the damn Cadillac. It was just sitting in the lobby. Guess who hit them? Alco Fuji. They were late. They were late to the show and almost got fired. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hell of a rip, you know. I told the God ones one night. I, I said they were they were they were messing with uh, Hot Rod Roddy Piper on the road. Oh Lord! I said, guys, don't don't mess with Hot Rod. He, he's crazy. No. He's crazy. Oh, yeah. So we're going to Austin to San Antonio, and one of them came up to me and goes, you got to come see our car. They pull up next to Hot Rod, and Hot, <laughs> Hot Rod doesn't even look at him, just goes, bam, and hits him and keeps going. I, go, I told you. I told you. He's not going <laughs> to mess with You know who's probably one, I don't know, probably the most gross rib that I've ever heard in my life was, uh, was Uncle Fuji. So the wrestlers came to Uncle Fuji's house. And Uncle Fuji, he'd barbecue. So what happened was one of his German shepherds passed away either a week before the boys were coming through. They turned around, and when the boys came through, he was marinating all this meat. He put the barbecue, the meat, and all the boys were like, oh, my God, this is good. This is good meat, you know, blah, blah, blah. What is it? Uncle pulled out the head of 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 the animal that passed away. And put it up in front of it. Every single person that was there threw up. Like <laughs> that day, till this day, well, you know, when Uncle was alive, Uncle Fuji, I have never ever even thought about ribbing that man. No. Even, even when we're on the road, never. I would never no. even cross my mind to rib Fuji. No. He was no. the one guy that I remember I just I was scared of him. And I, you know, he was such a wonderful guy. He was pleasant mm-hmm. as he could be. But I was scared to be around him because he never knew. That man was evil. evil. <laughs> He's sneaky. He's very sneaky. Yeah. You know? He was really like he smiled in front of you, but he'll get you. If you if he doesn't like you or something happened that you did to him, he might not get you today. He might not get you next month. He'll probably get you the following year. You know what was coming with Fuji, though. You always knew it was fun, coming with uh, with Fuji. Uh, King Curtis and uh, Mark Lewin and, uh, and Fuji, they were all in Australia. My first year in the business, I got, I got a trip to Australia. And so we went over to Singapore back in those days. And I could say this now because we're, we're more open and everything. And uh, I was a part of it. But you could buy Hershey bar sizes of hash, hard hash. And we'd smuggle them back to Australia. I know the, the statute of limitations probably smuggling <laughs> hash. I hope it's over with, but uh, <laughs> there's no evidence, believe me. So, so Lewin and Curtis didn't trust each other with the cookies. So they had Uncle Harry uh, hold a cookie for them. Well, every week, you know, after, after we'd finished with TV, we always had like a purse or like a, you know, from Sydney, like a seven hour dry, uh, flight to, uh, so they they break off a little piece of that cookie and, and eat the cookie. So each week they notice that cookie getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And 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 uh, Fuji was supposed to be off the stuff at the time, per Barnett. 
So they've one night, they were there, there. So they called me to the room. We can't trust Fuji anymore. You know, we're going to give it to you, Briscoe. So I said, what? I didn't even know what, what a cookie was or, you know, what, what it was made of. That's how naive I was at the time. And so I was, I was dating this little Australian girl, and I told her about this magic that I had. Of course, she wanted to to try so of course i i wanted to stay with her and warn me man that stuff the best i ever had i didn't know it was that damn masculine stuff you know that, like like peyote you know that trip your mind out but uh, then then lewin and curtis come to me and i had like a little square left of that damn good ambrose what happened to we're better off with fuji having a damn thing <laughs> and then and the next week fuji come up to me and he gave me a Hershey bar, and I noticed something funny about it, but it was real funny. So I, 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 I got to thank you, Foods. And so Lewin pulls me over. He said, "Kid, don't take that." And he said, "It'll." I don't know why. I've been your cookie. He said, "It's excellent." Fuji spent all week making that thing because you ate all the damn <laughs> So I pretended in front of Fuji that I was eating it, you know, and then I'd, I'd have to go, of course, it's a big laugh and everything. For years and years, he ripped me about eating his his, uh, his cookie that I never ate. <laughs> you know, guys don't guys that don't know back in the day, you know, when you have a rip, you'd always say, you know, we need to call Fuji Investigations. Yeah. <laughs> That meant, yeah. that meant no one's going to look into it. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best. He was so much fun to be around, but I, I, I'm telling you, I was scared of him. I just thought, you know what? I just, I'm scared to leave my bag here. I'm scared to leave my boots here. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm the young guy, and I'm around Mr. Fuji. <laughs> and he, 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 he could strike you in any type of any type of rib he could strike you <laughs> that was the OG and uh, Uncle Fuji man he'd smile in your face but he, he's already plotting he's <laughs> yeah. already plotting he, he's like I'm going to get you yeah. Yeah. sooner or later before you even know it you know so, so tell us a little bit about your, your school your academy that you have going and uh, how's it going Oh, well, we're doing good. It's uh, here in Los Angeles. Uh, we've been open now for well over 12 years, Jerry. Wow. In uh, Los Angeles, in Knox Pro Academy. Uh, it's K-N-O-K-X-P-R-O.com. Uh, so, you know, we, we've been doing good. You know, uh, for most of my time, you know, for some reason, like I just, you know, uh, I couldn't, you know, get away from the industry, meaning that, you know, we, my uncles opened up a school back in Florida. Sammy opened up a school up in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And we needed a Samoan Dynasty school out towards this way in the West Coast. So I guess, you know, the, you know, the teachings of uh, what's passed down to us is like, it's important for us to have these kids, you know, be able to understand the, the ins and outs of the, of the squared circle. You know, a lot of uh, kids, when they come to us, I like to call them PlayStation wrestlers. That's mm. <laughs> because yeah. they all come through, Jerry, John. <laughs> they have no idea. Like, uh, you know, they're already talking about spots. You know, I can do this spot here. I think blah, blah, blah. Or talking about their gimmick. Uh, it's like, how about you learn how to learn how to work first? How about you learn fundamentals of what it is to be a pro wrestler? What comes with it. So, you know, majority of my time 
you know, we have classes on Wednesdays and Thursdays from 6 to 9 p.m. It's like three hours a night. And then on Sundays, we do an open ring on 10, 10 a.m. to 1. So, you know, I have them repeat what they've learned on the Wednesday and Thursday. And when they come into the open ring, I look forward for them to incorporate that, what they've learned, trained on those days to be able to, you know, understand, you know, to perfect their craft. So, you know, we do everything from, you know, everything that has to do with the industry, from learning how to talk, you know, cutting promos, uh, you know, your ring awareness, you're learning how to feel a person. Like, how do you work with a person when they don't speak English? It's very, very difficult. For us, what worked for us back in the day, what we were taught is we feel a person now. Soon as I lock up with a person, if I feel them that they're snug, okay, I kind of got that. If I go to lock up with him and tell him, throw me in a headlock, we set him off and he comes back, give me a tackle. If he runs through my shoulder, now I know what type of worker he is, meaning he doesn't have control movement. So this type of guy. So everything, uh, you know, uh, when we're working with these type of people, with students, you know, we give them the certain techniques what was taught to us. Like we we were learned, you know, we were taught to look at your stepping, your footing. You know, I don't know you, but I'm trying to find you soon as we get in the ring. Like how you said, when you got it with Alfon Sika, you never even, you know, work with them. But those little techniques, we take what you guys have used back in the day and we incorporate it with the kids today because we feel right. it's important for them to know. You know, that's a great point because I, I worked in Japan a lot like you guys did too. And, and you're working with guys who don't speak any yeah. English. And you go over the finish, but you still have to go sometimes 20, 30 minutes with these guys. You know, it's hard to explain to people how do you work with a guy who you can't really communicate with, but you do. You know, yeah. and it's feel. <laughs> yeah. It's just all feel. You know, it's 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 crazy to try to explain it to a lay person. How are you working with this person? Because it's so hard to explain without having been in the ring with somebody like that and understand what that feel means. But it really is a, a feel thing when you have somebody that, that doesn't speak the same language. Mm-hmm. It's tough. you know? and, and your style is completely different, too. I mean, uh, from an Asian style to a United States style, and you go over there, and, and, and then you got that language barrier. You just got to feel like, you know, I used to talk to, to my brother and Dory Funk Jr. all the time but when they were world champions. They would travel night to night, you know, and they uh, one night they'd be in Tampa, Florida, taking on you know, the best. The next night they'd be in San Francisco, taking on a Pat Patterson or a Ray Stevens. They'd never seen these guys before, but they had to go out and they had, they would adjust to them. At least they could speak the same language. But they, uh, Dory and uh, Jack always told me, I could lock up with a guy and do how far I could go with a guy, you know, just by the lockup. And it's it, it's that old school feel that we, all three of us come up with that's so right. important in, in today's business, you know, as it feeling a guy and and then checking the ego, you know. Yeah. And I'm sure you I'm sure you go over that a lot. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, for us when when you're when we're doing the field thing with them, we're trying to find them. And then it's also like you gotta be well aware to be able to protect yourself because you don't know what this guy can he throw a punch. Is he able to pull that punch or does his punch go all the way through? So, you know, one, it only takes, I say, it only takes 30 seconds for you to end your career. Yeah. Meaning if this guy comes from behind and punch you from behind, hits you in the wrong spot in your vertebrae, you're done, right? So why would I let him hit me first? 
I would probably do a spot just so I can see his punch, see if he's able to pull it or, you know, how, how, how does he throw his punch? And then I'll be able to call another spot, which I feel is safe, you know, because, you know, we know that accidents happen in our industry, no matter how good of a pro you are, you can get in there and you can have an off night and something happens. And God forbid that off night help puts you on the shelf, meaning your career is done. You're unable to walk, your vertebrae is gone, whatever the case it may be. Right. But, so we highly teach, you know, safety, highly teach uh, perfecting your craft. Don't do the things that you don't know how to do. You need to practice first to perfect that before you're able to do that to somebody else's body. Because if I'm giving you my body, your ass go to pick me up and slam me. You better know how to pick me up upside down. Because if you don't know how to pick me upside down and I fall on my dome, now the domino effect, you hurt me, you hurt my family, you hurt my kids, you hurt my food on the table. I mean, the domino effect of that, of the decision that you make. So you better make sure you have it right. And you're hurting a business on top of it. So, Yeah. Yeah. And Keith, one of, one of the old school guys I, I saw come in was uh, your two boys, the Usos. Yeah. I called most of their first matches uh, on the pre-show. And you know, a lot of times they booked those pre-shows. There wasn't a storyline. There mm-hmm. wasn't an angle. They said, what are we going to do with the pre-show? They need like 20, 25 minutes. Say, okay, let's, let's get so-and-so out there and put so-and-so with them. And there was no, you know, just people were following in. I'd watch those two kids go out there with no angle no storyline and really nobody knew them that well. They knew they were your sons, but they didn't really know the Usos. Mm. They every single time tore the house down and I'd come back from the pay-per-view and I, and I would always ask, cause a lot of guys didn't watch the pre-show. I said, do you guys see the pre-show? You have any idea how good these two kids are? They stole the show every, I've never been so proud to see, mm. Two guys who were so respectful and, and such good workers. I knew that once I got with Roman, this is going to be huge. That, that's one of the best tag teams I've ever seen. And I, I'm, I, and I seriously mean that ever. They were so good to go out there and perform. You know, so many guys would go out there for that pre-show and they just kind of put a match together. They'd go out there and feel the crowd. And yeah. I'm sitting there calling the match, and I know nobody hardly in the back's watching it because they're getting ready for the pay-per-view. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. These guys are awesome. It's got to make you so proud to see those guys go out there. Even, you know, now, now they're obviously they're huge stars, but even the very beginning, just to go out there and turn something that was not that great, like a pre-show into something magical. Cause I know you could see it as well. Well, you know, John, first of all, I'm very, very proud as a, as a father uh, to be able to see my boys out there, you know, uh, uh doing the thing uh, that they planned out to do. Um, thankful for the opportunity, you know, that's given for them to get out there to do what they do. You know, the, the kids, they, you know, they've been around the business, you know, all their lives. You know, for some reason, when you have these generations, you know, these second generations that's around the locker room, around the boys when we're traveling and just around the industry, you know, it's a different type of vibe. Like, you know, they they love and they respect the business because that's what they're taught. Otherwise, you would have never been in there, you know. And to be able to, you know, you know, a lot of times, they, you know, they get frustrated, you know. 
Well, it was the pre-show, Dad. Well, it was the pre-show. Well, it was this. I say, hey, that check coming in every week? See, I kind of make them come back to where, realize what it is. Is that check coming in every week? Yeah, the check's coming. Okay, just get out there. Be happy that you're given an opportunity to get out there on the card, be it a pre-show, be it a house show, be it a pay-per-view, and get out there, do the best you can. That's all you can do. The rest about you trying to fight everything else where you're at in the card, that does not matter. What matter is, and this is us smarting you up on what it is, what matter is you're getting that paycheck because that's what mattered to me. You you ask about why did I have five freaking different character? The bottom line for your dad, I didn't give a damn. WWE could have threw a bunny on top of me. The bottom line is I wanted that paycheck every week to put food on the table for my family. So recognize what this is while you're in it. Recognizing you understand then the rest of your passion, your talent is going to come out just organically. They cannot stop talent. Remember that. So just go out there, do the best you can and steal the show. And they've been doing wonderful. Oh, they're, they're incredible. Oh, and one of, the, oh, one of the problems that I had with the pre-show was they were so good at going out there with a the cold crowd and making them hot oh, that they also yeah. ended up on a lot of pre-shows. Because but that's, of that. but that's, that's, that's also, that's good for them. That's so good for them because you know, you're not figured in, you know, this is you perfecting your craft. Now you're being thrown into something where there's no angle. Nobody really knows who you are. That's what you get in there. You make people remember who you are. You get in there. Exactly. You steal a show because soon as the office back there, notice your, 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 uh, notice that match on a, on a constant basis, you guys are just killing it, killing it, killing it. Sooner or later, somebody going to be smart enough. We need to write these kids in. We need to put these kids in. And that's how you get there is through hard work. Yeah, because the talent, you know, is there. You know, and on that pre-show, they would get 20, 25 minutes, which you wouldn't get on a pay-per-view. You know, a tag team on a pay-per-view without a hot angle wouldn't have got 20, 25 minutes. So you wouldn't have got that opportunity to tell that great story like those guys got on on the pre-show. And they were taking advantage of it. I'm sitting there watching it with Michael Cole every day going, these guys – are incredible. Yeah. They're so freaking good. You know, they kind of remind me, like we talked about the bloodline today with Roman and, and the twins that on the top of their game now, you know, everywhere you turn on TV, that it's always the bloodline, the bloodline, the blood. You know, I'm proud to see that, you know, kind of re- reminds me when Yoko was that back in the day, like versus Roman, but in a different era. Then you had the head shriekers up underneath. But the difference is we're, we wasn't making the same type of money that Roman and Us was making today. No kidding. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so they're there, you guys. You guys enjoy the ride because it's not going to last forever. <laughs> enjoy. Right, Jerry? It doesn't Great. last forever. So. Great advice, man. Enjoy that ride, man. And it. It, it, it don't come around a second time. Yeah. <laughs> you, ride, you ride that sucker till the wheels fall off. Right, John? Yeah, yeah. We already know that. People yeah. ask me, what did you do over again? Every bit of it? Yeah. Every yeah. freaking bit of it. I had the best damn time. And it's why Jerry and I love this show oh, is we get to yeah. talk to, to, to you and yeah. have fun and just catch up and just bullshit BS and, <laughs> you know, just have a good time. You know, it, there's nothing like it. We we were part of one of the, the greatest business in the world. Yeah. And we got That's to entertain right. fans. I mean, you talk about going to Australia. 
We're out there in front of 70,000 people, man. Yeah, and get, and get a towel stuck in between your butt cheeks. <laughs> and you got, and I got paid for it. And plus get a 10, 10 K check on your return or more. <laughs> and, and that right? That's right. So we, we have the best job in the world. No complaints. Yeah. Yeah. Not even close. And, and we, and we, and we made it through. We're that's here. It. That's the important thing. We made it through John and I just, you know, uh, during the pandemic, you know, we were both bored and we we're both kind of doing these goofy things on our own, just telling, telling road stories and, and laughing at each other. And, you know, after a while, you run out of individual stuff. So John called me and he said, hey, man, let's do something together. You know, we both have a lot of road stories, a lot of friends we can get a hold of. And uh sounds like fun. So we just, you know, we started this thing just to have a good time, just just so yeah. we could talk talk to guys like Rakesh. And we had Eric Bischoff on last night or that last week. We've had uh, Michael Hayes. We had Devon Eric on. We've had. I agree. We've had so many guys on and we just sit here and laugh and, and tell good stories. And, and I think, you know, people enjoy hearing the fun side of our business too, because there's so much negative bullshit out there nowadays. And it's good to come in and hear Rikishi laugh and hear, and see the yeah. pride that you have. But most of all, the respect for the business that, that every one of our guests has had on. Our business is, is a wonderful thing, and it can be a miserable life too if yeah. you let it be. But uh, you know, we we all we all were smart. We made the right friends, and and went down the road, and we laughed a lot. We had a good time, and we didn't go. We we called minimal harm. I won't say we called any harm, but we called <laughs> minimal harm. But Kishi, I mean, it, it it's such a pleasure when when we start talking about you coming on. Way, wow, this will be a fun one. Yeah, so thank you, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Kishi, thank you. You know, when I came in, I'm only I think I'm only about a year or two, maybe maybe a year at the most, younger than you, but I'm younger in the business. And uh, you were always so so cool to me. We became good friends, and I, I just so much love and respect to you, my brother. And, and uh, I'm always whenever I see you, I just smile. And when I, when your kids came in, I mean, I, I love those two kids. I'm so happy for their success. I'm so happy for everything that, that the family's done. It's just, it's so cool. And it's so great to see you. And when we got on we first, you know, we made it through, we made it through. Oh, yeah, and now yeah. we're the old guys who can sit around and talk about it, not being bitter, just say, you know what? We had our run. We had a oh, run in the sun. Weird, yeah. It was awesome. And I still get to talk to great friends and that's what life is all about. So thank yeah, you, you very much for coming. You on. you see you said something there, John, that just 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 made so much sense for you anyway. You know when when you see a you see you see a green a green guy wouldn't have caught that. You see, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> but, when, but, but, but when you see a friend and all you got all all you can do is smile. You know you that's a hell of a friend. You know. Yeah. And, and the same thing I I think happens, you know, when I see you, Keisha, and when I see John, I just smile because I just think of all the damn good times that we've had and all the good times to come. So, man, it's been a pleasure, man, a time has flown by. And we appreciate you coming on. And one of these days, we're going to call you. We're going to have a big uh, reunion of this show and have a bunch of guys on it and see how far we can get with that. Absolutely. I'm, I'm down with it. Uh, listen, uh, Jerry, you know, I think I can say this. Um, behalf of me and John, you know, you, my friend, the domino effect that you have laid on our lives, 
you know, being in the business. You know, we've become close friends for a reason. Like, don't think for one minute back in the day that your, you know, your generosity, your teaching has gone unnoticed for both of us. You know, so happy to see that years later, you know, you guys have, you know, linked up together to be able to do shows like this. You know, and it's important that, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, our platform here, letting the curtains down for fans to come through, just to understand that there is good people in this industry. Mm. There is people that really care about each other. It's not what you just see on TV, us working against each other, blah, blah, blah. But behind the scenes like this, you know, it's good to be able to, you know, fellowship together. It's good to be able to go down memory lane and, you know, and talk about the things that really help each other's career. And for you, my friend, Jerry, Frisco, you and your brother, you know, back in the day, thank you for being such a, uh, a mentor to, you know, us and our family. You know, thank you for, you know, you know, being, doing the dance with Uncle Alfonsica and Uncle Peter Maivia back in the day. So everything that you guys have done has helped us in our career and our choices to be able to be better people in this business. So thank and you. I, you're quite welcome. And it's passed on by your sons there. And I appreciate that so much. It means so much to, to an old timer. But thank you, man. You know, our business is great, man. So let, let's all enjoy it. And let's watch the future, you know. And there, there's so much out there for these kids. And let's hope they all can take advantage of it like we did and go down the road. And then 20 or 30 years from now, they can sit in a group like this. No, they'll, they'll be probably. <laughs> Probably be sitting with, with holograms set next to each other, you know. But you know, <laughs> this is what it's like when you, when you forge those relationships when you when you're yeah. on the road and everything. We we, I mean, we're all three here smiling and laughing because we're enjoying each other's company. And I and I hope that's one thing that we can all pass on. You know, there there it, it life is tough enough out there, so why make it tougher by holding their grudge or something that's like right. that? You know, so let's all get out there and kick ass, man. All right. Love you guys, John. I love you guys. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you.